about time to begin. Good to see everybody here tonight. I think Wes will be leading us in a moment uh, after our class with a song, and we appreciate everybody being here tonight. Turn, if you will, to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew 13, I'll turn there too. got quiet, didn't it? All right. So tonight we're going to do the parable of the soils. Some people call it the parable of the sower. I think, truthfully, the parable is more about the soil types, but we will discuss the sower a little bit. So just for review tonight, parable means what? Who can draw a parallel? Yeah. It, it literally means to make a a comparison or draw draw some conclusions between two things that you lay down next to each other so you can look at them and compare. We know Jesus was such a master at being able to tell a relatable story, something that everybody could understand and relate to. He'd talk about sheep or crops or, you know, property owners, vineyards, things that that everybody can envision and understand they probably walk by these things every day, but then he had a spiritual application that talked about the kingdom. Now, it doesn't mean that they're always easy to understand because we know in some cases, i.e. tonight uh, in Matthew 13, the apostle said, okay, Rabbi, explain, you know, tell us, tell us what this means. And so he went into more detail. Um, The parable of the soils, I just made a little note at the beginning in Matthew 13. It is a story that reminds me that Jesus was able to connect to the common man. That's one thing I really liked about Jesus. Uh, This is the man who had callous on his hands. He was a working man, right? Uh, He knew what it meant to to sweat. Everyday men, the working man. And so... I appreciate the fact that as Jesus went around, as Jesus taught, as Jesus connected with people, he did not seek out people who um, were educated, right? After all, who did he choose to be his apostles? Fishermen. Thank you. Yeah, that was an easy one. Fishermen. Not exactly what you'd call the upper scale of your educated people but hard-working people, fishermen. He was not focusing on the elite, on the wealthy, or those who walked in the right social circles. As a matter of fact, Jesus was a man known to eat with sinners, associate with people of ir- ill repute, um, and he was often rebuked or criticized for that. He touched the leper. Uh, He approached the man that was demon-possessed. Nobody could control, but yet Jesus didn't fear him. And so I just like the fact that in teaching the parables, it's a relatable story for the common man who has calluses, who can understand what Jesus is saying. It's interesting that the religious elite who had been book-trained would often go away after hearing a parable and go, the man speaks nonsense. Nobody understands what he's saying. It's babble. 
But yet, given thought, if a person walked away and began to think about what Jesus said and applied some common sense to it, all of a sudden it it began to make sense. Ah, he's telling us about God's eternal kingdom. He's telling us about the Father. So in this parable, what I want you to keep in mind is what God seeks in each of us, every person present, is he wants a pure and honest heart. He wants a pure and honest heart, first of all, one who spreads the good news, but also one who spreads the good news into pure and honest hearts, which means we sow seed everywhere uh, as we go. Those of you that are members of the church have a duty, uh, a privilege, if you will, to tell other people about Jesus. And so, in one sense, as we read this parable, I want you to understand it's applicable to everybody today. We have a duty to spread the gospel seed everywhere we go. He wants us to produce good fruit. And we know that only good soil produces good fruit. And so I pray that we will have the hearts that, first of all, are productive. The hearts that give a good yield to the Lord. So he wants us to be a sowing people, a sowing people. Now, have you ever been out there in the world and you come across a person and you're like, eh, I don't think they're worth it. They're just, no, you know, the town drunk, the drug addict, the prostitute, you know what I'm saying? People out there in the community that are just not really worth the gospel. Be careful not to prejudge about who you will share the gospel with. And I wanted to share a quick story. This is a kind of a funny, funny story on, on uh, the idea of sowing seed, but it's based on a true story. We are sowing people. In England, in the 1860s, a Manchester physician was awakened in the middle of the cold, rainy night. It was one of the Welsh coal miners from the rows of small cottages that sprawled near the distant coal mine. The man's wife was in labor. Her strength was ebbing fast. The doctor was needed urgently to save the lives of both mother and infant. Ah, but the doctor was tired. He was frustrated because he was overworked. The prospect of walking through the mud on that cold, stormy night did not appeal to him at all. He thought, ah, I could just make an excuse and not go. What difference would it make whether the world had one more miserable cold miner's brat? <laughs> I'd say he was a burned-out doctor, wouldn't you? Uh, but he thought about it. He went in spite of his reluctance, the coal miner's brat, who was delivered that night, turned out to be David Lloyd George. Now, if you don't recognize that name, that's okay. David Lloyd George grew up to be one of the greatest prime ministers Great Britain ever had. You see, the doctor's calling was to deliver babies, not to choose which babies to deliver. And so is our calling as sharers of faith. So everywhere you go, share your faith. Because you just don't know if you share faith with somebody who may not be a good prospect, they could turn out to be somebody that's very valuable 
to God's kingdom. All right, who wants to read our parable of the sower? Any volunteers? Any brave souls? Roy's got the microphone tonight, and I think Ryan has volunteered. Thank you, Ryan. Matthew 13, 1 through 9, does that sound right, Tom? Yeah, then, and then what we'll do, we'll, we'll drop down to um, 10, and, and then that's the interpretation. Okay. Glenn, I'll pass you the microphone and get verse 10. On the same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the sea, and great multitudes were gathered together to him so that he got into a boat and sat on the whole multitude. Uh, the whole multitude stood on the shore. Then he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went out to sow, and he sowed, and some seed fell by the wayside, and the birds came and devoured them. Some fell on stony places where they did not have much earth, and they immediately sprang up because they had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among the thorns, and the thorns sprang up and choked them. But others fell on good ground and yielded a crop, and some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Okay, so that's the parable. And Glenn's going to read the remainder in a minute. When you hear that, it sounds interesting and it makes sense, but you don't make the application yet. And so the disciples asked, what in the world does this mean? Why do you speak to them in parables? And so now Glenn is going to read, beginning verse 11, the interpretation of this. Because because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even though they have, will be taken from them. This is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this, the people's hearts has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and, would, and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, because they see. And your ears hear because they hear. For truly, I tell you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, but did not hear it. Listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed sown along the path. The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. 
when trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke out the word, making it unfruitful. But the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. All right. Thank you, Glenn. I appreciate that. You sound like you're fighting with a little congestion. Yes. Yeah. All right. So my question tonight to kind of get us thinking, if you were to think about those of us sitting here tonight, right, in Bible class, which of the soil types do you believe we represent? Okay, why would you, why would you say good soil? Uh-huh, that's exactly right. And if you're here, you're putting on a pretty good pretense or show because uh, we know that, you know, not as many people come on a Wednesday night as do Sunday morning. It's a little more inconvenient to come midweek. And I know back when I was working in the corporate world and, you know, putting in long days, a lot of times it was a struggle to come back on a Wednesday night. People are tired and they, you know, that couch felt pretty good. And do I really want to come back? So I, I would agree that most of us, if not all of us, fall in that category of the good soil because we're bearing fruit by being here and voluntarily studying God's Word. Would you agree? That makes sense? Yes? No? Okay. All right, just checking. Doing a pulse check. All right, so let's quickly go over the the, uh, different types of soil. And uh, I do appreciate the fact that even the apostles had to ask Jesus, what do you mean? Please explain. And and Jesus kind of took a little bit of a side trip, and he said, first of all, I speak in parables, so... They could see and hear, but unfortunately they can't see and they can't hear, but we know they had eyes and we know they had ears, right? So what did he mean, they can't see and they can't hear? What do you think? They had not internalized what they had heard. They had not tried to work out the allegory that was given. Verse 15, I think, is probably the key to answer that. And let's go back and read what he says. For this people's heart has grown dull. Now we understand the physical organ that pumps the blood in this case means a different thing. It means the receptivity of truth. When a person's heart becomes calloused or jaded or hard, we understand that that means that presented with the truth, they can't see it. Presented with the truth, they can't hear it. And so Jesus is saying, I speak in parables because I want them to go away and consider and ponder and think and rub their chin and say, what was he really saying? But because of the hardness of their heart, they won't even think about it. It just hits their heart and bounces off and they go on and they're like, the man's crazy. You know, he's talking about a field and crops and birds and paths and things. 
So let's just quickly go over the soil types. And I do appreciate those of you here tonight who represent soil that yields. So in verse 18, he says, when anyone hears the word of God, uh, the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. That's the hard path. So what do you think that means? Let's break that down into the most simple explanation. Anybody? What does that mean? Glenn? Roy, you want to give him the microphone? Thank you. Roy was thinking. He was about ready to say something. Okay. Well, as raspy as my voice is, uh, I hope it's not too loud now, but you're fine. Anyway, uh, it, it, people in their hearts and their minds, our God designed us all that our body works jointly with our mind, our hearts. And that's why you hear the scripture that says, seek and you'll find, knock mm-hmm. and the door will open. That requires action. Yes. That requires both mental and physical action. And so it is with us in our daily lives and in the following Christ. He's just not saying, I, I want you to know this. He said, I want you to know it and then be moved in your spirit, led by the Holy Spirit, to do something about it. Mm-hmm. We call it being convicted of, of our what the Lord has told us to do. That's right. Take up our cross, follow him. We can, you know, I can quote you allegories all day about what's left for us in the Scripture telling us to do this. Yes. But it comes right down to it. You don't want to hear it. If you're not truly in your heart of hearts interested in it, you're not going to do anything about it anyway. There's no conviction, is there? No, there's no, unless, no, no pricking of the conscience. Exactly. And on the yeah. counter side of that, there's not only no conviction, there's denial. That's not, I'm not going to make it. I've heard a lot of people say, oh, I don't do enough to do. Well, no, you probably don't. If you feel like you don't, you probably won't. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we need to, the Lord, I, I'm not in fear of my daily life of sin or of the Lord convicting me because he's saying, I came to save you. And I fall back to that all the time. John 3, 3, 16, you know, God loves us so much. He wants to save us every way he can. Amen. But there's a point there where the world, like that seed, can just get gobbled up. and And the world is birds devouring us, Satan devouring us. Every day of our lives, he's trying to devour us. Yeah, I think it's interesting that the first soil type Jesus mentions is the hardened path. It's a footpath. It's walked on every day, and it's basically like concrete. The, the, the soil is impenetrable because of its hardness, so the seed bounces off, doesn't even begin to go in the ground. Not a good environment for anything to grow when you've got a concrete-like soil that's so hard, representing a hard heart. I thought it was interesting in, in Acts 2, when Peter is preaching Pentecost, right? He gives a history lesson, and then he talks about the Messiah whom they crucified. And then right around our, our verses that we like, 37, 38, what did, what did the people do when they heard Peter's message? It says they were pricked or cut to the heart. See, not everyone who heard the message became a Christian, Glenn, but those who did become Christians that day their heart was penetrated by the message. Very simple, simple concept. Hard-hearted people, when they hear the truth, when they see love in action, they are not phased. They're not touched because it's all about them. 
right? The, the, some of the people that yelled crucify him heard Peter's message and their hearts said, whoa, I've just crucified the son of God. What must I do? You know, I'm guilty. But others, they didn't. All right, so good. Any, any other thoughts on the first soul type? Thank you, Glenn, uh, uh, Glenn for that, for that uh, exposition. Anybody? Sean, question? Like, uh, do you think the person in charge of sending Jesus to the cross would go to hell because that's really Jesus' legacy to no one else? I think if, if he repented, then God certainly would forgive him. Well, I mean, I mean, Jesus was meant to go to the cross and die. Yeah, Jesus was meant to go, right. Yeah, so I mean... It was God's plan all along. He may have been part of the plan, so... Right. Yeah. You know, there's only one sin, Sean, that we're told that cannot be forgiven. Right? Um, All right, that um, sin is what's called blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. How do you do that? Well, blasphemy uh, basically is, the short answer is, it's when you see something good from God, and instead of praising God, you give the credit to the devil, and you say, that's the demon's work, that's the devil's work. That's the ultimate insult to the Holy Spirit, and and it's such a... um, uh, a blasphemous attitude and and giving the devil credit when God should receive credit for something good, our hearts have become so hard that we can't be forgiven of that sin. Our hearts are so depraved. Uh, and, and you may recall some people said that Jesus healed a man. He did it by the power of the devil, right? Yeah. It's pretty bad. Their hearts were very hard, kind of like this soil we're talking about, right? No hope for them. <laughs> All right, let's go to the next one. Uh, The rocky ground. This is the one who hears the word, immediately receives it with joy, yet has no root in himself, endures for a while, with tribulation and persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. You know anybody like that? It's sad when you study with somebody and they quickly receive the gospel with joy. Oh, I want to be a Christian. I want to be saved. I want to go to heaven. And then when persecution comes along, as it will for any Christian, when difficult times come, it's like the little plant that, that withers in the shallow soil and it has no root. It just, it just uh, it doesn't endure. There's no endurance. You know, I'll, I'll be on God's side as long as it's convenient. I'll be on God's team as long as life is good, but when I have to start paying those dues as a Christian and it's hard, nah, count me out. I'll check out. I'll go home. A lot of people like that, quitters. So it's, uh, it's not easy to, to follow Jesus. Jesus told us to take the narrow gate. Very difficult, very difficult. Any thoughts or questions on that? We all have probably seen people that quickly accepted the gospel they did it with joy, but then fell away. Paul had his demons in the early writings of the New Testament, and we can, all of us, I can, name several people that, that I studied with, that I thought, boy, they're, they're, 
They're solid, you know. And a few of them were, were uh, preachers and elders. And I thought, they'd never leave the church. They're, they're so grounded in doctrine. They're yep. so strong. And so that, that, that uh, scripture that says, take heed lest ye fall, is true. And sometimes those people that I thought were so strong fell prey to the very things I would have. If you were giving me a list of this, this person would do this, 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 I'd say, no, no way. Couldn't happen. Wasn't possible. But that's the strong pull of Satan. And we better take heed lest I, we I can fall. I think what you're talking about, Glenn, may be this next soil type where you have a well-established Christian who's well-grounded. But unfortunately, think of their little patch of land They've neglected the soil, and it's had weeds and thorns grow up that go unchecked, right? And so a very fertile Christian that's been productive, if they don't maintain that heart, right, and they let it, they let it get caught up in the cares of the world, then they become choked out and delusioned and fall victim to Satan's ploys. So I think deacons and elders and shepherds and, and preachers and anybody in the church who, who has been strong but yet falls to Satan, probably falls under that category. What was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. So uh, they, they were fruitful at one time, but yet, you know, that's kind of the ones I think target is targeted most by Satan. He prizes leaders in the church. He prizes strong Christians um, that kind of shake, shakes the foundation of a congregation when somebody falls victim to Satan and their uh, sin has become made public, and it's a shocker. You know, wow, I would have never dreamed. I would have never thought. And, 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 you, and you feel the, the ripple effect go through the church and how it hurts everyone. It hurts the credibility of the church and the community. So we know about the, the good soil. Uh, one thing that I appreciate is... Different Christians have different talents. Different Christians produce different amounts. But we're all considered God's children, even though we have different yields. Make sense? So we, it's not about bragging rights. I produce more than you produce. Or my fruit's better than your fruit. It's the fact that God gives us all talents, and we use those talents, and we bear fruit, and uh, we're God's children. Praise God, we'll be in heaven, and we can rejoice. So use the talents that he gives you and bear fruit for God, regardless if you're a one-talent man or a five-talent man, use those talents. All right. Now, what, what I want to do is sh- shift in the next few minutes from the actual parable itself. I think we'll have a pretty good understanding of the parable. I don't want to go into too much detail about what it means. We have a pretty good grasp of that. I just want to give some application to you folks who are the good soil. I'm giving application uh, to Christians, fellow Christians, who are out there sowing seed. Now, first of all, Palestine, where Jesus taught, had a lot of farmers, right? People who lived by the land, toiled the soil, raised sheep. They, uh, they understood livestock. And so uh, they ate a lot of barley bread, a whole lot of barley bread in Palestine, And so this parable touched the hearts of many people. Now, the man who went out and sowed in the parable uh, represents whom? Who do you think that person represents? Yeah, anyone, Wes? Anyone who has been given the charge 
of sharing the good news, right? By the way, have we been given that charge? We have. Is it the church's responsibility collectively to teach the gospel or only the select few in the church? Okay. So everybody is going to sow. The question is, where do we sow? Well, even more than that, Tom, it's a process. I call it a connective process. A connective process. Uh, right. I've heard some people say it's a web effect. You, all of you here, have neighbors that you are uh, amiable with. That you're—they're like family. Your circles family. of influence, and you can touch them like I can't, or take, Cookie can. Uh, yeah, or or my little dog can. There's lots of ways for openings. <laughs> I get yeah. some with her quite often, just walking in the neighborhood. Who doesn't love Cookie? Right? Yeah. But, but the fact is, is everything should be utilized, not in a cynical way, but in a way that, hey, we're connected. My little dog's connected to you. Oh, you know what else we're connected by? It's Jesus Christ. Amen. He came to die for us all. If you want to segue into saving souls, the Holy Spirit will provide it for you. You don't have to worry about what you're going to say, whether it's appropriate or not. It'll just come as natural as breathing. And when the more you breathe that way, the healthier your lungs are, and the more you're going to be attentive uh, to those opportunities and not, like you said, hard-hearted or numb, dim-witted, I call it. Just, oh, I don't know, you know. Uh, the, the, it's an opportunity. God is going to put those opportunities in front of us. He's, he, God doesn't lie, and when he gives us those opportunities, you'll know in your heart with the Spirit leads you that there's an opportunity. Am I going to turn my back? I'm going to make an excuse, or am I going to seize that opportunity? When I was uh, a young man back in the, I guess it would have been the 90s, I would be on the way to work, and I'd say, Lord, help me see the world through the eyes of Jesus. Let me see precious souls all around and realize that this is a field, and I need to reap a harvest. So let me plant seed. Everywhere I go, let me plant seed. And so I stopped at a dry cleaner one day because I had to, I was in management. I had to wear a shirt and tie, you know. And anyway, just the sweetest little family. They were uh, Asian family, but their son was working behind the counter, and his name was John. And we started talking. And John, after I became his friend, and we talked a lot, agreed to a Bible study, and that was one of my first converts. And and John just so much, in, you know, enjoyed being in the church and learning about the God and the people. And and uh, we we just have to sow. Glenn, every, everywhere we go, and if we don't so, um, I think God's going to hold us accountable. Notice that the man that sowed the, the seed sowed the whole field, not just areas where he felt were likely to produce a harvest. Everywhere he went, even the rocky ground, the hard path, it received seed, didn't it? And so... Uh, he didn't just seek up those areas that were worth his time. That technique was called broadcasting, where he would reach into a bag, and, and he would, in an arc, he would sling the seed, and it would come out of his hand in as much even distribution as he could. But broadcasting, if you think about the word broadcasting today, what does that word broadcasting mean? Yeah, airwaves, Right. And when a radio tower, which is up high, begins to broadcast a powerful signal, who cannot receive it? The idea is everybody can receive it. That's why it's called broadcasting. And that's what God wants us to do with the most 
wonderful, powerful, redeeming message the world needs in somewhat kind of a dark time, good news about Jesus Christ. And so let us broadcast just like airwaves everywhere and not be ashamed of the message of Jesus. All right, number two. The church grew in Acts 2 um, at the time of Pentecost. How many people were preaching at that time? In Acts 2, how many preachers were present? There were 12 apostles. All right. How many apostles had the tongues of fire over their head? How many apostles were proclaiming the gospel that day? Twelve, right? And then in the same day, there were about 3,000 Christians, right? Boom. Church just exploded. Now, can 12 apostles continue to teach thousands and thousands of people? You see, my point is, the apostles had to delegate that responsibility of proclaiming the gospel and bringing up these new converts and teaching. They had to delegate it to other people, right? And ultimately, helpers, other preachers, other teachers, other servants in the church now became assistants to those apostles, and everybody did their job to help the church continue to grow. Glenn? That's one thing. I think uh, <clears throat> Good News Peter and his wife Ruth and the brethren in Nigeria have set such a wonderful example for us. Yes. Uh, I know we've got a lot of missionaries that we're supporting, and, and I love that. I'm thankful that we, we are diversified in our missionary support. But to me, the letters he sends us who support him yes. uh, are so encouraging because I think, wow, how did they figure out how to do that? How did they... You know they're they're making they're maximizing their minimums. They don't have a lot of money, they, right? And the, most of their stuff is manual labor. They don't hire a contractor only when they have to. Yep. And and so I can read between the lines as well as read the fact that they're joyful and praising God while they're doing the work of the church. Amen. And that ev- means everything from digging a ditch yep. to saving souls. The other thing that I like about them is they count heads. They say, we baptized 30 people this past month, or we baptized 40 people this past month. We had a good month. We baptized 60 people. If you're reading these newsletters, they're, they're counting heads, and so am I. That's what rededicates me. Jim, you might see Jim coming around here lately. It's time to pay up, folks. <laughs> yeah. I told him, I said, Jim, I'll bring my, Judy forgot tonight, but I'll bring my check Sunday. And and it's a joy. It's a joy when you're helping brothers and sisters in Christ that are getting her done, as they say in Tennessee. They're getting it done. Amen. And and they'll say, hey, any any suggestions? And they're not like, I know it all. I've got it all. He said, any way you can come up with a way to help us maximize the gospel in, in, in this area, please help us. Yeah, I was thinking of... Uh... Jesus, when he announced to the apostles, we're going to Samaria. They're like, yippee, I can't wait, right? Oh, no, 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 no. They, they did not want to go to Samaria, did they? But Jesus understood there was a particular woman who was a social outcast, had a really sketchy background in her marriages. He knew all this, right? He met her at the well, talked to her in midday. Women shouldn't even be at the well. 
in the midday sun, but there she was. And he told her a lot of things about herself, convinced her that he was the Messiah. She runs off and tells other Samaritans, and they stayed several days. When they came back from getting food, they were shocked to see him talking to a Samaritan woman. And then Jesus told them, I want you to look out on the fields. They're looking out on the fields. He said, they're white. They're ready for harvest. You see, I, I just hope that we can grasp that and say, Lord, there's souls out there who need to be harvested. There's precious souls. Have we planted the seed? And so that leads me to this point. My point is that when you bring in a crop, John knows this, he's a, he's a farmer. There's so many different processes. First of all, you've got to prepare the soil, right? You've got to disc it and make sure it's ready. You plant the seed, you water the seed, you maintain the seed. There's got to be fertilizer and certain uh, minerals put into the ground. You've got, to, you've got to weed that crop. You've got to keep the weeds down and control it and ultimately then harvest. There's a lot of different steps involved. Uh, didn't, didn't Paul say that I planted a, a polis water, God gave the increase? In other words, think about your role in bringing the lost to Christ. You don't have to be the evangelist who opens the Bible and teaches the Bible study, but what is your role in bringing the lost to Christ? Are you a good seed uh, sower? Are you good at preparing, preparing the soil? Are you good at watering the soil and encouraging? Maybe you want to host a Bible study. What is your role in helping bring in the crop that Jesus sees as white, ready for harvest? See, we've got to see the world as Jesus sees it. We've got to seek souls the way he did and yearn for people to be added to his kingdom. We have those talents and abilities if we'll just use them for his honor. Yes, sir, Glenn. You know, uh, we, we love to sing songs, acapella songs, Church of Christ, and uh, send the light. And one of the words in that is we have heard the Macedonian call today, send the light, yes. the blessed gospel light. That's right. How can we sing that and live with ourselves if we have knowledge of where we can send it, how we can do it, and the resources to send it with and sing that song and not be ashamed of ourselves I'm not trying to hang a guilt trip on us. I'm just trying to wake us up. Right, and, right. You know, these songs mean something. And if we sing them with a the meaning that's in them, it's saying get out there and get with it. Do, right. do what you need to do. Do what your hand and your mind finds to do. He didn't, he didn't specify to Glenn, you got this to do, or Gentry, you got this, or Howard, you've got that. He says, you've got your talents. You know who they are. I know what they are. Right. I want you to use them. Yeah, and just stress the point like we did tonight, uh, and I appreciate uh, uh, Dennis making this point. We are all, look at yourself and point to yourself and say, I am fertile soil. I am fertile soil. You're, you're doing good. You're here tonight, and you should be praised and thanked for the fact that you're here tonight. We just want to make you more productive, Right? We want to make you more productive and excited about what you're doing. Get excited about growing for the Lord and planting seed and bringing in a harvest and a crop. Be excited. But we can get discouraged sometimes with the condition of human hearts that we see around us. We see jaded people, cold people. Um, so why not? Uh, why are more people not accepting of the gospel? Why in the United States is it hard when in Africa it's more receptive? You know, why, why, why? There's a lot of reasons, but at least uh, three that I want to offer tonight. Brother Eldred says, number one, not all hearts are the same, 
right? When you go out into the world, you see some really kind-hearted people, then you see some really jaded, cynical people. You, you see hard-hearted people. Some are seeking riches. Some have cares of the world. Some are hard. So don't expect all the hearts to be receptive to your message. Two, so everywhere, so everywhere, God can bring plants up in unexpected places, right? So some of the people that you may look at and like, eh, they're not really a good prospect. I don't think they'd be a good person to talk to about Jesus. That may be the very one God wants you to share with. Number three, we have to sow and not even quit before we start. Some of you tonight are discouraged and burned out and tired, okay? And so I'm speaking to you tonight. Uh, in Galatians 6, 9, can somebody read that for me? Galatians 6, 9. Who's got that? Ryan? Let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. All right, we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Satan wants each one of you tonight to be discouraged. He wants you to be in a place where you say, why bother telling other people about Jesus? Nobody cares. Satan wants you to grow complacent. Satan wants you to no longer see potential anywhere. He wants you to look out on the world and see a bunch of rocks, right? It's not worth it. Nobody cares, and I'm tired. You remember the doctor we talked about tonight who didn't want to get up in the middle of the night and walk through the mud and deliver a miner's baby? That little baby turned out to be a wonderful asset to Great Britain. He didn't know that, and he did his job, and... Great Britain was blessed. So in our remaining time, I just want to share with you productive soil. And thank you for being here tonight and for, for helping in the harvest. Don't give up. Don't grow complacent. Don't say, I'm not talented. I can't help. Of course you can help. God made you, and he made you uh, with talents. Did Noah quit preaching when he built the ark? How long did it take him? Anybody know? How long did it take him? It's around 100, we estimate about 120 years, roughly. That's a long sermon, a really long sermon. You see, he built and he preached. He warned the people. How many responses did he get to his sermon? His family, but outside of his immediate family, his three sons, Daughter-in-laws and his wife? Zero. But you see, when it began to rain, did Noah close the door? He did not. Who closed the door? God. God closed the door. Let your doors be open, brethren. Let your hearts be open to a lost world. and Don't give up. Don't give up. When Paul spoke in Athens in Acts 17, he gave the people a compliment. It was a message to the unknown God. You have, a, you have an inscription to an unknown God, and I perceive that you're very religious people. Good job. May I tell you about the unknown God, he said. But sadly, 
It says in the text in Acts 17, a few men became followers. There weren't droves and droves and thousands of people that followed Paul after that inspiring and complimentary message. It says a few. So as we go out and we sow seed, don't get discouraged, but be thankful that a few people will respond to the gospel. Finally, I want to read to you a summary on page 129 out of this little book, and then we'll be done for tonight. I appreciate your time and attention and and hope something has touched your heart. God's promise has not changed. If we share our faith in him today in whatever natural way he has given us to use, he will still give the increase. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises, 2 Peter 3, 9. We are often just slow in claiming them. If we share our faith in him today, in whatever natural way he's given us to use, he will still give the increase. You believe that? You believe if you sow seed, you'll get a harvest? All right, let's get busy. We've got a lot of planting and sowing to do. We've got harvest out there. So I hope you enjoyed the parable of the soils, and we will see you next Wednesday night. Bud Rose. <laughs> Number 575, Softly and Tenderly, will be an invitation song. That's always a special song to me because when I was uh, 13 or 14 uh, that Sunday night, my dad was not present when, uh, when the sermon was given. He actually had a friend bring, bring the uh, sermon for him that night, but I responded to the invitation Softly and tenderly, Jesus is calling. You know, Jesus is always calling. He always has an open invitation to uh, the lost. He has an open invitation to the hopeless, an open invitation to those who are members of the Lord's Church who may be discouraged, tired, or struggling with sin in some way. So I don't know where you are tonight in your spiritual journey, but I suspect somebody maybe will need this invitation song. Maybe somebody wants to respond and ask for prayer. But Jesus is always calling softly and tenderly. When he returns, when that trumpet sounds, when the, the, the clouds part, and, and we see the Lord and his myriad of angels returning, he will not be in a softly and tenderly mode. You follow me? He's not coming to give any second chances. That will be in the warring mode where he fights evil. And uh, you're victorious if you're saved, you're lost if, if you're lost, and no second chances. So just a reminder, we have time tonight 
there's an opportunity tonight, and if you need to respond, we invite you. Let's sing 575, softly and tenderly. Softly and tenderly, Jesus is calling, calling for you and for me. See on the portals, he's waiting and watching, watching for you. Ladies Sewing Group will meet tomorrow at 1230. You can see Wanda if you have any questions. There's a youth Evo at the home of Clinton Becky. That's going to be uh, this Friday. The bonfires, outdoor games are at 430, hamburger and hot dogs at 6. And we need you to bring sides, desserts, and chairs, songs and Devo to follow. We're having our annual Trunk or Treat event this coming Sunday night. I think we're going to be uh, having our worship service at 5 and then our trunk or treat, and then supper. Anyway, it's on the sign out there. We need chili, 
Soups, chips, desserts, and drinks, hot dogs, buns, condiments are all provided. We are looking forward to a special uh, Sunday service, where, which will incorporate both our young men and a skit for the young people. So we're looking forward to that and appreciate those who are helping plan that event tonight to reach our young people. There's a fall bonfire uh, Saturday, November 5th. This will be at Chris and Carrie Lanier's house. 5 p.m. is games. Uh, 6 p.m. is a meal. Soup, sides, and desserts are needed. Hayride uh, also provided. And um, let's see, meats, bun, condiments, utensils, drinks, and s'mores will be provided at the Lanier's house. We hope you can come and join us for that. Ladies are invited to Bobby, baby shower for Matt and Alexis Hensley. Sunday, November 6th, that'll be 2 p.m. in the Fellowship Hall. They are expecting a little boy. They're registered at Amazon and Target. So let's see. We're thinking about uh, giving again for Christmas. We're going to have our uh, family in need. So if you know anyone that is uh, maybe a a, um, candidate for the angel tree, just let Joanne know. And she needs those uh, names no later than November 13. If you know a family that's in need that might be a good candidate, she always does a good job, and we appreciate Joanne's help in in getting together those names for us. Any other announcements or updates on the sick? I heard that Bill Young should be getting the section of his skull put back in. Uh, They're going to do that at Vanderbilt, and I'll keep everybody posted once we know that's happened. His uh, physical therapy is going about as well as we could hope, and um, so just keep the young family, BJ and Bill, in in prayer. Anybody else we need to be aware of? Yes. Yeah, yeah, I had a very serious fall at their old farm, Carol Bonchek. She's a, a person who had attended here at one time and uh, still keeps in touch with some of our members. But Yeah, she, she comes to the sewing group. Her husband uh, was up in New York and had a very serious fall and has been in critical care but slowly improving, several broken ribs and I think a concussion. And I think he broke a, another bone maybe, but... Uh, in the, yeah, he's... From Tennessee, but uh, stuck in New York doing rehab. So just keep Carol and her family in prayer. Thank you. Anyone else? Yes. You had to take Robert back again to the hospital. Sorry to hear that. All right. Robert Head. All right. Clint's going to lead us in prayer. And if you'll come down, Clint, we'll get that prayer started. Anyone anyone else who need to remember? Yeah, Will. Will has the flu, and so we want to keep him in mind. All right. Where is Clint? He's coming. Oh, he's writing. He's busy writing. He's being a scribe. All right. Yeah, I just heard Will had the flu. Sorry to hear about that. He passed out. Oh, my goodness. Megan and I just got our flu shot yesterday. So, All right. So I guess we need somebody to help us out with the skit, right? We'll talk about that afterwards. All right. There's Mr. Clint. Let's pray. 
Father in heaven, we bow our heads to you this evening. I want to thank you for the, the week that's been given to us, Father, the beautiful weather, the amazing creation with the changing of the leaves and the fall scenery, and the ability we've had to be able to go out this week and just enjoy what you give us. Father, there are some right now that are having a hard time with that, not being able to go out and do just simplest things. But we pray that you will stick your hand up, you'll put your hand upon them and, and bring them back to a normal walk. Father, we know that Bill Young still has a long way to go. We pray that you continue to give him strength and uh, a good spirit. That goes a long ways towards recovery, Father. We pray that he will keep going and uh, eventually we will would love to see him back here with us, Father. We continue to pray for the Bonchek family and Carol's husband who uh, had a hard fall. Father, we pray that uh, the body will heal and he will be able to get back to normal walk of life and everything will be fine there. We pray for Robert Head as he's headed back to the hospital that he will be able to to be comforted and to be able to hopefully turn around and just come right back home, Father. We pray that for that family and his support. Can you pray for my Aunt Judy Cook as she is facing heart surgery, valve replacement. We pray that you will be able to get the infection to go away that is stalling that out and that will be, uh, be able to happen pretty soon, Father, and that she will be able to get back to her normal walk of life. Pray for Will with his flu. The flu can be can be rough, Father. I've I've had it myself, and it's it's no fun. We pray that he will just be able to bounce back and be able to get back to normal walk of life and get to feeling better soon. Father, we also praise you for the the boat for, boatwright family now, and they have had recovery from a horrible wreck, and that, that uh, niece got to go home, and she's in good spirits. And we Father, we pray for the the nephew that was involved, that he will also be able to continue to heal and he will also be able to get back to normal walk of life. We thank you for the, the little voices you hear, Father, in here in this con- congregation. We know that they're next in line. We thank you so much for that. Father, there's there's more more to thank you for than we, we know and we have time for, Father. We, we just pray that every day we'll wrap ourselves in gratitude and thank you so much for everything because all walks of and everything in life is simply blessings from you we thank you so much for that we thank you so much for the ultimate blessing of your son and the ability that we have now to be able to ask you for forgiveness of sins father that you will someday find us worthy to be able to come home in heaven with you and it's through his name that we pray amen amen